0: Well, good morning. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome you. Uh, those of you in person, I want to welcome you on the live stream, and uh, especially if you're first-time uh, guests, we're really glad you're here. We've been going through the book of Romans, and uh, this is a big day because we've been waiting for this uh, moment, I, th- I feel like, to get through some of the harder passages uh, in the beginning parts of the book. Um, so it will help if you've if you got Romans open, either on your phone or in your Bible, but I will certainly have it on the slide uh, as well. Romans, we've been saying, uh, in general, is about the gospel. Um, and we can tell from the greeting uh, of, of the book that this gospel has something to do with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And while that's an amazing story, uh, Paul knows he needs to convince us that we actually need that gospel. We need that amazing story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Otherwise, it's just a neat story. Um, so Paul spends a lot of time convincing us that we have a very severe problem that can only be remedied by that good news, that gospel. Uh, and he spends Romans one eighteen through three twenty. Uh, explaining uh, the problem that we have and uh, explaining the wrong remedies that we reach for, uh, for uh, the problem. But the problem is that human beings are unrighteous and ungodly and consequently are under the just punishment or wrath of God. Uh, His introduction of that section, Romans 118, he says as much. He says, "...for the wrath of God is revealed." from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth we're unrighteous remember, meaning we're doing wrong things we're ungodly meaning not only are we doing wrong things but we're rejecting God himself even to the point of worshipping other gods and we deserve wrath that was the last four sermons basically we've been talking about that for four weeks, and he concludes that section about the problem and the consequences with Romans three nineteen and 20, and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." The gavel comes down at that point in the courtroom of God, and all of humanity is standing in silence. They They have no defense. And so this is where we find ourselves leading up to this Romans 3.21. It's a very dramatic courtroom scene. All the evidence has been presented against us. Our behavior has been compared to the law and found wanting we hear the all rise for the honorable judge and the judge who walks in is none other than the holy God himself. But to make matters worse, our crimes are against the judge. That's the predicament that Paul is painting in the beginnings part of Romans. And all of that is setting up Romans 3 21 and following but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. At this point in the book we're like wait, wait, what? I, I, I could be made righteous apart from perfect law keeping even though i'm guilty as charged and that my crimes are actually against the judge himself a holy god that in spite of that somehow i could get a favorable verdict from that same holy judge, and that the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, has been saying that there is this alternative means of becoming righteous all along. Remember back in Romans 3, verse 5, where Paul brought up the objection that that, that God is giving us a test that we can't pass in the law, and it's not fair, right? Romans 3, 5. But if Our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. It seems that when we get to 321 that God was using the law, yes, to show us his righteousness and our unrighteousness, but was also using the law to show us our need for the remedy and that that remedy is for the consequences of sin, which is God's wrath. So our interest has been piqued. We're thinking, okay, I'm interested in this means of becoming righteous that's apart from law following. How do I do that? In verse 22, he begins to explain the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, this is how he, he explains the, the means of be, being made righteous or obtaining the position or the status of righteous apart from law keeping, that I can actually be declared innocent. Right? Not, not, not just have uh, a commutation of my sentence, right? That it's more than clemency, which is uh, saying, yes, you're guilty, but no, you don't have to serve any more punishment. It's not that. It's a pardon. A pardon not only rescues you from the punishment. A pardon says you are now declared innocent. Your record has been expunged. You are righteous. Now, in our judicial system, a pardon, which usually comes from the president or it comes from the governor, um, is usually for someone who's been wrongfully convicted. And so people advocate for that person and say, there was something wrong about the trial that caused this person to be wrongfully convicted. We're asking you, president, we're asking you, governor, please pardon this person, not just Take away their punishment, but totally erase this crime from their record. But in this situation, the person, you and me, has been convicted, not wrongfully, but rightfully." I mean, he even says in Romans, Romans 3:23, which is a verse that some of you know, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." It's like a summary of the evidence against human beings that we've all sinned, meaning we've done wrong things. But but not only that, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've rejected God. We've, We've not expressed the glory that we were supposed to express as His image bearers. And so we've been rightfully convicted. We're guilty as charged. Yet, God is passing out free pardons to guilty sinners like you and me. Now again, when we hear about pardons, I, I think the most recent time that, that pardons have been in the news was when President Trump was giving pardons and commutations in the last hour of his presidency. He gave 70 uh, pardons and 73 computations in the, the final hour of his administration, most of them Were either, they were either in one of two categories, either personal friends uh, of the president, or they had done something to make up for their crime. They had had an exemplary uh, record in prison, or they had started a nonprofit. Um, You you can look online and you can see all the reasons for why folks were given commutations and pardons. But the question here in Romans is, well, what do I have to do to get one of these pardons? How do I get pardoned for my sin? How do I get to be made righteous apart from law? But but, then in the back of our minds, I think is the second question, and how could a holy God do that? How can I get it? And how is it that God can actually provide that kind of free pardon? Already in verse 22, or getting a hint of how God gives this free pardon. It's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Somehow this pardon is received via faith, through faith. Now, what is faith? It's a, the Greek word being translated there is the Greek word pistis, and uh, it means that you're relying on something. You're trusting in something. It, it, it's not mere... Um, intellectual agreement, it includes that, but it's more. Later on in Romans, Paul will say, if you believe in your heart, right? And so this kind of saving faith, this kind of belief is from the heart, the very core of your being, the, the place from which mind and will and emotions spring. He also likens faith to receiving a gift, right? He says, justified by His grace as a gift. And so this is also a way that the Bible talks about saving faith, is this receiving of whatever it is that Jesus Christ is offering, which we'll get to here in a minute. And so it's similar instead of, you know, have you had good time served in prison or have you started something, you know, started a nonprofit and done some good works and then, yeah. I think I'll give you a part. It's not like that at all. It, it, it's like God walking through death row and saying, anyone here who's willing to admit their crime, I'm passing out free pardons. That's what it's like. And he's saying that somehow this is through Jesus. That Jesus Christ is able to bring this into being. Now, what is it that we're putting our trust in, regard, in regard to Jesus Christ. Is, is it that Jesus Christ is a moral teacher kind of a trust and faith? Is that what we're trusting in, or, or just his person? What, what is it that we're trusting in that would deliver this pardon to us? And, and of course, the, the nagging question, how could a holy God pass out free pardons? Well, let's look at what about Jesus we're trusting in so again, verse 24, he's saying it, "...and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." And then verse 25, he starts to describe what it is about Christ Jesus that we're placing our faith in. He says, "...whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith." This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the Apostle Paul lets us know we're not only trusting in the person of Jesus Christ, but we're trusting in the work of Jesus Christ, the work that he did through his death on the cross. And the ESV translates this work that he's done on the cross as a propitiation. Now, this Greek word that's being translated there is hilasterion. And in general, it's talking about a sin sacrifice. And it has a lot of facets to its meaning. And consequently, English translations struggle to translate this word. And you can see that. You know, if you use Bible gateway you know, .com and you pull up the parallel versions and you look at this verse in in different versions of the Bible, you can see how different versions use different words to uh, translate this Greek word, helisterion. And so uh, some of them kind of keep it general uh, and kind of let you decide what the facet is that's being uh, communicated here. And so like the New Living Translation says, for God presented Jesus as the, quote, sacrifice for sin. So that's their Translation: Sacrifice for sin. It can also mean uh, a covering for sin, or uh, the, the kind of technical term for that is an atonement for sin. Uh, New International Version uses that word. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. This word, helisterion, can also mean a cleansing from the uncleanness that comes from sin. The technical word for that is expiation in the RSV. The Revised Standard Version uses expiation, whom God put forward as an expiation by His blood. A few translate this as mercy seat, uh, which was the the top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies of of the tabernacle and later the temple. And it was the place where on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood, and it was seen as the place where God and sinners were reconciled, and uh, it's used in the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament, uh, this Hilisterion word, to talk about the mercy seat. And so, there's, you know, at least at least one or two translations that say that this means the mercy seat. Right? God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood. That's the Christian standard. Bible. Uh, And then some, like the ESV, translate it as a propitiation. New American Standard does the same. The reason ESV, English Standard Version, New American Standard uh, choose this word propitiation is mostly uh, because of the context. Because what is the problem that Paul has set up in Romans 1? The problem that needs to be alleviated is that sin deserves the wrath or the just punishment of God. And so what Jesus is doing on the cross, it's not the only thing he's doing, but one of the the things he's doing and, and a real central thing that he's doing is that he is dealing with the wrath of God, the just punishment of God on the cross. So what is a propitiation? So propitiation is something you offer to, to appease the anger of someone who's angry at you. You might think of it this way, I, let's say your boss at work is really mad at you for something you did. And last Sunday, which was pie day, you, ba- you bake your boss a pie. And you bring the pie to the boss and you say, I know, you know you're really mad at me and I'm really sorry that I did that thing at work. Please don't fire me. And I made you your favorite apple pie. And the boss loves apple pie. And the boss sees the pie, eats the pie, and the boss doesn't fire you. So the pie was the propitiation. And the pie made the boss propitious towards you or favorable towards you. This is a similar way of thinking in ancient pagan religion, gods and goddesses were easily angered and the worshiper would have to offer up propitiation to appease the anger of the gods and goddesses. And they would offer up food or money or their children in order to make the god or goddess propitious towards them. Now what does this have to do with the God of the Bible? Well, similar to many other words in the Bible, this word propitiation is co-opted by by the author and used in in a new way. There's some continuity between the old way and the new way, but there's also a new way of looking at this. So um, God needs a propitiation um, for his anger, but his anger is not this sort of petty... Uh, I'm in a bad mood this week. You better do something to make me happy. It's not that at all. It is just punishment. And the propitiation that's being offered here is actually not being offered by the worshiper. It's being offered by God himself. And so in, in this way, God is able to be both just And the justifier. He is just because guilt is being punished. He is the justifier because he is allowing the guilty to go free. He is only able to be both just and the justifier if he offers up the divine Son of God, the incarnate Son as a propitiation." He even comments that past sins were being passed over. (laughs) They hadn't been dealt with, right? He says in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He'd passed over former sins. He said God appeared to be unjust. He appeared to be allowing these sins to just go unpunished, and he can't do that because he is a just God. It also tells us that those blood sacrifices being offered in the Old Testament were not a sufficient propitiation for sin. They were, they were arrows pointing forward to, to the true and better propitiation, to the once for all propitiation for sin, which was Jesus' death. On the cross. It turns out that Jesus' death is a propitiation for us that it is almost certainly an expiation as well. It cleanses us from sin's unrighteousness. It's also a covering for sin. It's also the place where God and sinners are reconciled. It's all those things. Oftentimes when the Apostle Paul is using, or any New Testament writer using a Greek word, it has many facets in English, just doesn't have a word that captures that the, the many facets of that one Greek word. And so, does it mean expiation? Yeah, it, mean, it means all those things. But but because of the context, it definitely means propitiation. So, what are the implications of this? Well, I mean, one is Complete pardon for sin is available by grace and through faith. That's the good news. (laughs) Complete pardon for sin is available by grace and through faith. You don't have to work your way into God's good favor. You don't have to work to keep yourself in God's good favor. The sinful humanity described in such sobering terms from Romans one eighteen to 3.20 is being offered free pardon. That not only do you not have to bear the punishment of your sin, but your guilt has been wiped away. You are made righteous and that is received by faith. Now, there, that's the big implication, right, is that the pardon can be freely received through faith. But there are other implications, and and really there are infinite implications, but Paul actually mentions at least three implications of this good news about the free pardon. So, the, the things that Paul mentions is, one, now there's no room for boasting. Uh, he also mentions that that pardon is for the entire human race. And then he mentions that that pardon will give you a new motivation and a power to uphold the law. So let's look at, look at each of these. So the first is that there's no room for boasting. Verse 27, he says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. So Paul's saying... True believers are not boasters. They're not boasting. What does he mean by that? Well, think about the pardon picture again. I've been proven guilty as charged. I've been given a pardon by the judge against whom my crimes were, you know, were against, right? And I come out on the courtroom steps for a press conference. What will I say? Will I say I had a really great defense team? Will I say, uh, I had an amazing performance on the witness stand, I really, I really think I pulled at God's heartstrings and he gave me a pardon? Will, will, will I say, you know, my crimes really weren't that bad? No, I will be grateful, there will be no boasting, that free pardon will elicit from me Gratefulness, you know, and whenever you know, you do see a press conference with someone who has been given a pardon, even if they've been wrongly convicted. There's not a lot of boasting, you know. It's just, it's just grateful, just grateful for having been released. But our our boasting's not quite as straightforward as a press conference, you know, after our conversion. Um, Our our boasting manifests in in subtler ways. And and I've talked about these a little bit in this sermon series, but I think it's helpful to to continue to reflect on this. So one of the ways we boast is when we have a sense of entitlement for the good things that God has given us. We somehow think we, we deserve the good things that God has given us. Even though He's eternally pardoned me by grace. We don't deserve anything. And so that sense of entitlement is, is, a, is a manifestation of boasting or thinking I'm better than other Christians. That usually it, it crops up when I'm thinking, why can't that person just get themselves together? What is their problem? Forgetting that anything I might have in terms of maturity or transformation, it is a direct result from the free pardon I've been given by grace. There's no boasting. Or feelings of disdain toward non-Christians. Oh, I can't believe they behave that way. Forgetting, again, that any kind of righteousness, any kind of transformation in my life, it is a direct result of the free pardon given to me by God, by grace. There is no room for boasting. It is all grace. No, I'm, I'm serious. It really is. It is all grace. You were saved by grace. If you're a Christian, you were saved by grace. You are being saved by grace right now, and you will be saved by grace for all eternity. The Christians in this room, we will bump into each other in heaven a million years from now, and we'll be talking to each other and go, this is amazing. How is it that we've lived a million years? And then you're going to go, oh wait, it's all grace. And it's going to be grace for the next million years. right? It's all grace. There's no room for boasting. Another implication he says is that this Pardon is for the entire human race. Right? Verse 28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now, this was originally primarily for Jewish readers who were holding on to circumcision and other covenant markers like kosher food eating and Sabbath keeping as a, a means of salvation, as a means of marking them as the group that was saved. And it was a Jesus plus kind of gospel. They were believing in Jesus. These, these, these Jewish readers that were first reading Romans, they were believing in Jesus, believing that a pardon came, came uh, through Christ's death on the cross but that you also needed some other things to add to that, and Paul is warning them of this Jesus plus kind of theology. Um, If if you think there's anything that you need to add in order to get a pardon, you're not believing the gospel. You're believing some kind of distortion of the gospel. If you believe Jesus plus baptism, for instance, if you think, yeah, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, saved me from my sins, but i got to get baptized in order to be saved, that's a Jesus plus kind of salvation, right? Uh, if it's a, a, a Jesus plus, you need to be part of my particular group, right? Some of you have, have encountered International Church of Christ, and so they teach both of these things. you got to be baptized in their baptism, and you got to be part of their group to be saved, it's a Jesus plus kind of gospel or Jesus plus follow my extra biblical do's and don'ts that's not the gospel there, there's some pentecostal holiness traditions that come across this way that yeah 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 Jesus saved you but now you got to do these do's and don'ts in order to keep yourself saved that's a Jesus plus kind of gospel or uh, Jesus plus, you've got to experience the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit through things like tongues. That's a Jesus plus kind of gospel. Or Jesus plus, you've got to walk down an aisle, you've got to pray the sinner's prayer. This is the Evangelical Baptist types, kind of Jesus plus gospel sometimes. And if you press them they would they they would say no 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 we don't think the sinner's prayer saves you Jesus saves you but practically speaking it starts to feel that way it's like oh yeah Jesus died for the cross but on the cross for me but this prayer this walk down the aisle thing this is like a magical moment where i through that access the gospel no it is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and and one of the ways you can vet this stuff is is when anyone is saying that the gospel is something you do. That's a distortion of the gospel. The gospel is something that God has done in Christ. And we trust in and rely upon what what God has done in Christ at the cross. Right? The gospel is God's pardon of sin through Jesus' death. At the cross, which is received freely by faith. Even saying feeding the poor is the gospel, that's a distortion of the gospel. Feeding the poor is not the gospel. Now, do genuinely transformed gospel believers feed the poor? Yes. It is a demonstration of the gospel, but it is not the gospel, okay? Saying that racial reconciliation is the gospel, that's a distortion of the gospel. But those who have been reconciled to God in the gospel, yes, will work to reconcile the races. So it is a demonstration of the gospel, absolutely, but it is not the gospel. And this is a distortion that, it's just everywhere, of thinking the gospel is something human beings do, whether it's baptism or it's feed the poor. It's like, no! The gospel is what God has done in Christ, at the cross, and we rely on, we trust in what God has done. It is not what we do. That's what God has done. So this is part part of the implications that Paul's pointing to, that it is God alone. And then the, the next implication, verse 31, is this new motivation and power to uphold the law. So he says in verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul's very clear here, and he's going to do this in many places in Romans, that what he is not saying when he is is preaching this gospel is that there's a rejection of following God's rules, God's law, God's, God's word. Not at all. God's law is good. God's law reveals God's righteousness. It reveals our unrighteousness. It reveals our need for Christ, absolutely, and it also is something that we follow, We still follow the word of God, that if you're genuinely pardoned, you will be motivated and empowered to uphold the law. Much better than someone who is not genuinely pardoned, who is trying in their own strength to follow the law. You will actually be better at upholding the law if you have trusted and relied upon the gracious pardon of God. It has, it's been really fun in the recent days to just be spending some time with some brand new believers that have just become Christians. And they, they know some things about the Bible, but there's a lot of things they don't know about the Bible. And, and listening to them say, I need to be more respectful to my parents. I, I, I need to tell my friends about Jesus. I, I, I want to. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, that's, that's in this part of the Bible. That's in this part of the Bible. But they don't even know it's in the Bible yet. But God's spirit is working in them. They have been transformed by the gospel, by the free pardon that they've just received by faith. And they are, quote, upholding the law, even though they don't even know what the law is. And so it is is not this like, all right, well, I'm saved by grace. I don't have to worry about holy living or following what the Word said. No, actually, we're going to be at that even more. But not in order to save ourselves, but because we are saved. We have been pardoned. And now, by grace, through faith, we continue to grow in our obedience to God's Word. So ways to respond to this, if you're not yet a Christian, receive the pardon today. It's free. It's free. It's grace. So if you believe, you've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, you believe that Jesus is, is your only propitiation for your sin, receive that by faith today. And enter into this relationship that is possible with God through this great salvation. If you're not yet ready to do that, but you're seeking, you're, you're wondering, I, I want to know more. I would reach out to either someone in this room that you know is a Christian or someone, uh, if, if those of you that are streaming and you know someone that, that is a Christian that could help explain this, or please reach out to us. You can even go on our website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond. There's a, a deeper kind of explanation of the gospel and uh, there's some ways for you to reach out to us, but pursue this. Like this is, this is a life-changing thing that happens, an eternity-changing thing that happens in the lives of those that receive uh, this free pardon. But what if, what if I'm a Christian already? What, what do I do with this, this text? And so you've already received the pardon, but now this text is something that helps us remember the pardon. We remember the pardon. We remember being in God's courtroom in, in silence, no, no defense for our sin. And the holy judge, the holy judge who we had committed crimes against, gives us free pardon. A free pardon that was paid for by the death of the divine Son of God at the cross. It was offered as a propitiation for us. We remember that today. And when we remember that, it causes us to repent from boasting, right? Remember the pardon, and then we repent from boasting. I need this every week, right? Feeling entitled to God's good gifts, angry with God because He's not giving me the gifts. I think He should. Uh, Feeling better than other Christians or feeling disdain toward non-Christians. Remembering the pardon, it helps us to repent from all those kind of inward attitudes. We remember our pardon and repent from putting up obstacles to the gospel for others. This is partly what Paul is is talking about with the circumcision of the Jews and, and, and saying, don't put this in the way of the Gentiles coming and getting the pardon. And so if, if you've fallen into any Jesus plus theology, of course you want to repent from that. But I think for most of us, the greatest obstacle that we put up to people getting the free pardon is our silence about the free pardon. By not talking to people about the free pardon, we communicate that the way you get to heaven is you are a nice person, you go to church. Now we don't believe that. But it is what we're demonstrating. Because we oftentimes don't talk about the pardon. That reality that the pardon is for everyone points to the dignity and worth of all human beings. The recent shootings in Atlanta have, have put racism back into the news cycle. And so there's been a lot of of talk about racism and that it is wrong and it is. And as Christians, we know especially that it is wrong. And usually we say it's wrong because everyone is created as an image bearer. And so they have dignity and worth. And we are right to say that. But they also have dignity and worth because Jesus died to save them. This is partly what what this pardon is for all kind of idea, is that it gives dignity and worth to human beings. But yes, human beings are sinners, but yes, God has made a way for them to be saved. So we re- remember our pardon and we repent from putting up obstacles for others to get to the gospel. We remember our pardon and we repent from law breaking. Right? We've been pardoned for our sin via the death of the divine Son of God and then we fall into, we choose to uh, participate in the very sins that put Jesus on the cross. And so when we remember the pardon that we've been given, it it motivates us to, to repent from sin, to turn to Christ and to live holy lives. Remember the pardon. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for this free pardon, that there is a way to be given the status of righteousness that is apart from perfect law-keeping. And I pray that any who are in this room or watching on live stream or will be listening to the recording later that have not yet received this pardon, that they would today. They would receive it as the free gift that it is and they would trust in, rely upon this propitiation that's been offered to a holy God who is both just and the justifier. And Lord, as, as we remember this pardon today, Lord, may it do more than just jog our memory, but may it transform our hearts. We bring before you our boasting and we bring before you our, our timidness about gospel proclamation. We bring before you our, our, our breaking of, of your word. And we do that not in fear that uh, somehow this pardon is going to get revoked, but because you have given us this pardon freely. And so we want to come to you and confess sin to you and repent this morning. And I pray that you would help us to do that, Lord.